So back in 2017, the uh, former U.S. Surgeon General noted that there was a troubling uh, epidemic that had hit our culture that he said was such a big deal that he would put it at the same level as cigarette smoking or HIV. He said this particular epidemic was, was hitting people of different socioeconomic backgrounds. It didn't matter whether you were rural or urban or suburban or what age you were. Everyone was being affected by this in one way or another. And he said that the, the lifespan effect of this epidemic was the same as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, just think about that for a second. That's nearly a, a, a pack of cigarettes a day. Now, think about all the resources that our country has put into uh, cigarette smoking as an issue and the health risks around that. The Surgeon General in 2017 was sounding an alarm that something was that bad in our culture. It was infecting our culture to that level. What was that epidemic that was as bad as smoking nearly a pack of cigarettes a day? The Surgeon General said that epidemic was loneliness. And that came out, that study and his report came out in 2017, three years before 2020 hit. And think about what 2020 did. In 2020, the average American traded 300 hours of in-person time with friends and neighbors, not just coworkers. 300 hours of friends and neighbors time for 300 hours of social media, TV, and, and surfing the internet. And the price that we paid in our culture was more loneliness. A, a recent survey of, of middle-aged and older adults found that the more that they used social media, the lonelier they felt. Wall Street Journal last week, two weeks ago, had an article about the devastating impact on loneliness on one particular group, and that is middle-aged moms. And this isn't just a middle-aged and older adult thing. There was a study that came out last July that, that says that adolescents right now are experiencing loneliness at the, the, the highest levels ever recorded and, and, and more so than 10 years ago and mostly amongst adolescents, teenage girls. Loneliness is an epidemic in our culture. So what's going on? Well, there's a sociologist by the name of Mark Dunkelman. I wanted to make sure I got his name right. And Mark Dunkelman says that every one of us has three rings of relationships. So as you think about your relationships as I describe these, the, the center ring of relationships is our most intimate people. These are our friends that are the closest to us. Uh, they, if we're married, this tends to be our spouse. If we have kids, it tends to be our kids, but it's that inner ring of intimate relationships. And then we have an outer ring, and the outer ring is our neighbors and coworkers that we don't interact with a whole lot. I, I call them the, the, our hey neighbors, right? You have hey neighbors in your neighborhood? We just say, hey neighbor. And that's the extent of your entire relationship with them, right? Um, it's the hey neighbor ring, right, on the outside. Um, and then there's a middle ring of relationships. And what the sociologist was saying is that it's this middle ring, which is people we work closely with um, at our, our jobs. It, it is the, our running club, the people that we uh, run races with. It's our D&D uh, group, right, our guild uh, that we game with. It, it, it's the people we hang out at our neighborhood bar. It's our life group. That's the middle ring. 
And so what happened is when the pandemic hit in 2020, we lost our outer ring, which barely impacted us because we're used to people moving in and out of our outer ring. But then we also lost our middle ring. And that impacted us greatly. I don't think we actually know the full impact of the loss of our middle ring. But every one of us, I bet, can think of someone who was close to us in 2019, but now they're just gone. And the result is we are lonelier now than we've ever been. And with that middle ring gone, you know how the old saying that nature abhors a vacuum? <laughs> Something has to fill that in our lives. And columnist David French says what happened in that middle ring in our lives is it became filled with factional friendships, he says. And what he means by factional friendships is people that you don't necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily hang out with these people. Uh, they weren't middle ring people before, but they're people who say you're either with us or you're against us. And so the, what used to be a healthy middle ring, which is diversity in thought, right? You, all these coworkers and neighbors and the people you run with to hang out at the bar with and do Dungeons and Dragons with, right? These are the people that they had diverse views and, and it was a healthy dynamic relationship. Now it's filled with people who all think exactly the same way. And that has caused us to push other people away and it's made us lonelier. So what do we do? Well, I think part of the answer to this question is in the Apostles' Creed, <laughs> the series that we're going through as a church family. And so if you would do as we've done during the entire of the series so far, stand up with me. We're going to read uh, the Apostles' Creed together, and then we're going to look at a little phrase. Here it is. Let's read this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Have you guys, did you, have you noticed? I just, just noticed this. Have you noticed we're louder every week? I think this is becoming a little more familiar uh, to us. Now, as a reminder, the Apostles' Creed was something that the early church put together as sort of a statement of faith, and they wanted to detail the foundational beliefs of Christianity. In other words, the stuff they put on the statement was stuff that they considered so core that without this stuff, you didn't have Christianity. And it includes things like Jesus rose from the dead. That's pretty important, right? <laughs> things like we believe in the Holy Spirit, pretty important. Today, we hit something that none of us would probably think rises to that level, and yet here it is. I believe in the communion of the saints. Now, this line is way too easy to drift by because it uses language that we don't normally use. But the early church thought it was so important that this should show up inside of the Apostles' Creed. 
So let's look at it. What does this mean? Well, who are the saints? It's not a football team from New Orleans, right? It also doesn't mean someone who is a super spiritual giant. The word saint literally just means a holy one, someone who is set apart. And it's a phrase you'll see a lot in the New Testament of the Bible, usually at the beginning of letters. Let me read the beginning of three different letters for us. The first one is in Romans, where the Apostle Paul writes, to all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. At the beginning of the letter to 2 Corinthians, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Let's look at Ephesians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. Here is the definition of a saint. A Christian. It is no more and it is no less than that. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have believed in him to save you, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ to save you, you are a saint. So let's go back and look at this. I believe in the communion of the saints. So who are the saints? We are, right. So we are the saints. Every Christian down through history is the saints. So what is the communion of saints? That's a weird word, right? Um, Well, first of all, what it means is the communion of us, right? The communion of Christians. So what is communion? Well, we often think of communion as like the Lord's Supper, right? It's the, the little cup of juice, the little piece of bread. Is that what he's talking about? No, and sort of. And I'll get to the sort of at the end of the message, um, but mostly no. That's not what he's talking about here. Um, the communion um, in Greek, the language that most of the New Testament was written in, this concept is, is the, is, comes from the word koinonia, The word koinonia means fellowship, or it can be translated as partnership, but it has a deeper meaning than either one of those carries in English. I found a definition that I really like that I think carries a lot of this for us. Uh, It says this, communion is the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings, especially when the exchange is on a mental or spiritual level. And I know what some of you are thinking The sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts or feelings, I'm out. Because for many of us, we are just not interested in that. The idea of that is terrifying, and yet it is so core that the the, the authors of the Apostles' Creed said this is important enough to put into this statement of faith. It is foundational to our beliefs. You may remember a month or so ago when we were teaching on Jesus' ascension, we talked about the response of the first church. After Jesus empowered the first church with the Holy Spirit and his power had come upon them, this was the natural response. And again, we read this a couple weeks ago. We'll read again. Acts 2, starting in verse 41. It says, so those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them, were added to the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship... That's to koinonia. That is to, to the communion of the saints. 
Um, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed to the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Did you see it in there? One of the things they devoted themselves to was this idea, the fellowship. In fact, let me reread this passage and insert our definition into it. Uh, let's see. So those who accepted Peter's message were baptized. Uh, that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to sharing or exchanging intimate thoughts and feelings, uh, to breaking of bread and to prayer. 3,000 people on the first day are added to the church, and they committed themselves to these things. Tent makers and shop owners and the guy who uh, shoveled up the poop behind the Roman horses and all of those people, right? They came together and devoted themselves to what we find is big temple meetings. They would meet in the temple and hear the proclamation of the gospel that Jesus saves. And then they met in each other's homes. They broke bread, which means they had a meal together. And they had this kind of fellowship, this kind of partnership, this kind of koinonia, this sharing of intimate thoughts and feelings. And then when they saw that others had needs because the other people had shared their intimate thoughts and feelings of what was going on with them, then they took care of each other's needs. That was foundational to the church. So last week, we saw the church universal, and we saw how when we become Christians, we are placed into a new family, a big, global, historic family that transcends time and place. And then in Acts, what we see is a very tangible here and now expression of that church. And starting in Acts 2 and going through the rest of the New Testament, we see this picture that the universal church, the global church, always manifests itself in smaller expressions that you could call the local church. Small, more intimate community where people could be known and where people could know other people, where they could share what was going on with their lives. They weren't afraid to share the needs that they had with one another. And then they were quick to meet each other's needs when they saw that happen, where they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. And they would listen, and then they would go into their, their, their smaller family group, and they would apply what they had learned from the apostles' teaching in the smaller context. In fact, one of the most stunning things that you see in the New Testament is a new phrase pops up that is used over a hundred times specifically, and it is referenced hundreds of times, just not using those words. And it is this phrase, one another. In fact, you could almost say that one of the most core things in the communion of the saints is the one another component of it. Let's look at a couple examples. In Galatians 5, uh, starting in verse 13, it says, For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. Do you see the juxtaposition he's got here? He's like, there's two ways you could try to live your life out. The first is to make Christianity all about you. And the result of you making Christianity all about you is you're going to bite and devour one another because you're going to have differences with one another, right? All the things that we talked about last week, you're going to nip at one another because that's what you're going to do and you're going to eventually consume one another, right? That's the one path. And that's how our culture tends to think about freedom, isn't it? 
This is what this says. It says, you've got freedom. He says, and we tend to think about freedom as, well, freedom means you can't tell me what to do. Freedom is I get to do what I want and you can't infringe on that. But he's like, no, no, as Christians, that's not how we treat freedom. We use our freedom to love other people, to one another them. So we don't use our freedom the way the rest of the world uses their freedom. We use it to serve one another in love. Now look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. Remember this verse? If you were here last week, we, we went through this. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is, um, uh, through the bond of peace, we'll just end there. We covered this passage in depth last week, but I wanted to bring it back for a specific reason. Because last week we applied it to the universal church. The idea here being that we ought to have a posture of love and patience and humility and gentleness and bearing with one another, especially as it relates to those who are outside of our church family but are still part of our global universal church family, right? But the boots on the ground way that this is applied is in the context of the Christians that we're around all the time. The ones that we're rubbing shoulders with all the time. With one another, we are to be humble and gentle and patient, and loving, and bearing with one another, which means they're doing something that causes us to not want to bear with them. That's the whole point. It's easy to bear with somebody that you like and agree with, right? But the one that you're currently stirring, it's hard. That's why the command is there. I, I love the fact that both in this passage and the last one, the phrase that's used is, this is your calling, So many people are like, well, I wonder what God's calling is on my life. This is your calling. Your calling is to serve, to love, to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to bear with one another. That's actually your biblical calling. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, starting verse 14. He says, and we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. With whom? Everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but also pursue what is, always pursue what is good for one another and for all. What I love about this passage is it has this implication of Christian radar, right? That you're kind of like, your radar is on for somebody who needs you to be patient so that you can be patient with them, right? And then it's, it's looking around and saying, oh, there's an idle person. And idle means lazy, right? And so you're like, oh, look, a lazy person. I'm going to warn them that laziness is a bad thing, right? <laughs> you, you, you find someone who's discouraged and you comfort them because your radar's on and you notice that, that they are discouraged. You see somebody who is, is weak and then you help them when they're weak. And then you see someone who is treating you with evil and you treat them with good. That's Christian radar. Now there are over a hundred direct one another's in scripture and they're all in this land. In fact, Jesus summarized them when he said, uh, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is our calling. This is what Jesus is calling the saints to. Instead of, instead of biting and devouring one another, we serve one another with love. We're gentle and humble and patient. We fight for unity with every fiber of our being. We come alongside those in our community who need help and we help them. 
which means that we have to step out of our comfort zones in order to step into other people's lives. Otherwise, we'll never be able to see the needs. So do you see the big implication? It's, it's almost so simple that we can miss it. We can't do any of the one another's if we aren't around one another. We can't do any of these things if we are not with each other. Let me say it a different way. Community requires proximity. Proxi- and community is one of the antidotes to loneliness. So when I was studying for this message, I found something that I'm not sure I can prove. Um, so I'll just tell you that I, I'm not sure it's right or not. <laughs> but uh, some people believe that this phrase in the Apostles' Creed was like the last one that was added. Like the Apostles' Creed existed for a while. People were using it in baptisms and membership classes in the churches, right? This is the foundational stuff. And then at some point they began to go, something's missing. And then they added in the communion of the saints. Now I don't know if that's true or not, but I'll tell you what, that really rings true for me in 2022. Right? Like in in 2020, churches around the world amazingly pivoted online. And I am so thankful that we have that tool to have a a semblance of, of church online. And at the same time, I have concerns that have been weighing on me that I don't know that I can fully articulate yet. So you're gonna have to bear with me (laughs) in love as I try to figure out what I'm thinking about that. See, I think it's possible to have true community online. I do. I've watched my boys have true community and friendship with guys that they game with online. um, and, And it's real. And some of my closest friends, my, some of my closest personal friends don't live even in the state. And, and the guys I text with the most and FaceTime with and, and you know, we just, just constantly are, are talking back and forth. They just don't live here. So I, I think that you can have true community, true friendships with people in online spaces. So what's my concern? My concern for the church globally these days, and, and this is the best way I can say it, is that I think that people in their middle ring of relationships never really had a lot of true biblical Christ-centered community before the pandemic. A lot of people. Some did, but a lot of people didn't. So now they don't know what they're missing. And as factional friendships got sucked into that space, there's no room for diversity of thought that comes with true middle ring friendships and relationships. And so what we truly need, regardless of whether it's online or in person or or with the type of community we have, is we need healthy, Christian, Christ-centered, biblical friendships, people in our lives that we can one another with, people who can warn us when we're being idle, who can comfort us when we're, we're mourning, who can help us when, when we're weak, and, 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 and when we gush out our thoughts and feelings, they can help us evaluate those in light of Scripture. We can disagree with one another in our community and love one another 
in our community. And, and that's not a new thing. I just think it's been exasperated because of the pandemic. And sometimes we don't even know what we're missing. Let me just say this a different way. Um, sitting on your couch and watching online church like any other streaming entertainment is no worse than coming into a church building and consuming the service like a movie or a concert and then heading back home unaffected and disconnected from people. It's the same thing. I hear people complain about online services and I don't know what we're gonna do with our online church. We don't know. We're trying to figure it out right now. Like we still have our services. People are watching online literally as I'm talking because it's live streamed, right? And we're going to keep it for a while. We don't know what we're going to do with that. And I think people can't have community. But, but the same problem that people say for people sitting on their couch at home consuming a service and not being connected to people is the same concern I have for people in church. In person, and yet treating it like a, a movie theater. There was a researcher back in Harvard, back in 2012, that studied groups of people and he actually found something really interesting. And there's a guy named Jeremy Lineman who summarized the guy's findings. He said this. He said, people with the strongest relationships within their faith community are the kindest, most selfless people toward those outside their faith community. Check that out. Ten years ago, he discovered this while researching people in different people groups. He said, faith communities are the key. Faith communities with people, tight connection, strong relationships with other people in your local church actually leads to more kindness in the world. And do you think that might be something we need right now? In fact, one study I read found a direct correlation between loneliness and the likelihood of flipping someone off in traffic. True story. I don't know how they studied it, but they studied it. So what do we do? Well, I think what we do is what the early church did. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives just like they did. So what do we do? We commit ourselves to reordering our priorities and then reordering our lives around those priorities. Let me give you a couple examples. If the communion of the saints is a priority, then someone coming into an in-person service and sitting by themselves, and I apologize if you're sitting by yourself right now and you feel like I'm talking about you and everyone's going to look at you. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry right now. Um, that's, that's an emergency. Because we are supposed to be one anothering. We're supposed to be together. And, 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 and you're probably thinking, well, I have my seat. I sit in the same seat every week. This is my seat. Well, the person sitting by themselves is more important than your seat right? And I get it. I'm one of those people who, when I go into a meeting, I always sit in the same chair, and if someone's in my chair, I have a minor panic attack, right? I, I get it. But reordering my priorities for someone else is more important than my comfort. The biggest criticism, by the way, I, I get about Riverview, um, and to be honest, it's mostly the whole venue, is that it's easy to go to Riv for a long time and not to know anybody, and not to have anyone say hi to you who's not supposed to. And what I mean by that is they're used to the pastors saying hi to them and people with name tags. But it's like only the pastors and people with name tags are the only ones who will talk with me. So I, I'm going to 
give you an application that you may not choose to accept. It may be way, way too hard for you. It may be pandemonium. But next week, sit in a different chair. Oh, I know, I know. For those of you online, this room just collectively lost their friggin' mind. And so for those of you at home, just switch couch seats uh, next week. And that's okay. But no, so here's, here's what I'm saying. When you come to church, be the church. Talk to someone you've never met before. And, and, and if moving seats is too hard for you, totally cool. Find someone that you've never met before and just say, it's crazy. Hi. My name is, insert your name here, and have a one or two minute conversation. And if you commit yourself to doing that with someone new every single week, it will begin to help with the warmth and the communion of saints. And, and, and by the way, I'm not asking you to share your intimate thoughts and feelings with that person. But if that is the goal, to get there with some Christians in your life, it's the bare minimum to say hi to someone that you've never met to make them feel part of our family. And for those of you who are online, I do want to encourage you, don't be alone. A lot of people are online because of very, very real needs to be safe, and, and, and I, I get it. Find some digital spaces to connect with people. Get into a life group where you can connect with people digitally. And then when you feel safe, come and be part of things with other people. Over the next couple months, we're going to be rolling out some new ways that we're hoping to connect uh, with people, and I want you to prepare yourself in advance. We're going to ask you to have people in your life. And we're going to ask you to take your circle and to expand it out a little bit because that's what the church does. And we've been growing in conviction on this, that we need to be in community with one another. For many of us, we hear the word communion, uh, we immediately think of the Lord's Supper uh, because it's always called communion. <laughs> um, and one of the reasons we think of it that way, and one of the reasons it's called communion is because of an important bit of symbolism that is attached to the Lord's Supper, to communion. We see it in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 11, starting in 17, it says this, it says, now in giving this instruction, I do not praise you. You know that that's trouble when the apostle writes that down. He's like, I'm about to tell you something. You're not going to like it. I'm not going to praise you for this. This is what he says. I don't praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. You get the implication? He's like, when you guys gather as a church family, it would actually be better if you didn't. That's how bad this is about to be. It's, it's going to get good. He says, for to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. He's like, when you guys gather, you're not unified in the body of Christ like you're supposed to be. There's no communion of the saints. You guys are divided. And we skip down to verse 20. We see one of the examples. He says, when you come together, then it is, uh, when you come together, then it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper, so one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not. <laughs> I do not praise you in this matter. Okay, so here's what's happening. Remember, in the early church, uh, they often gathered in homes, right? So they would meet in, in temples, and they would meet in homes, and in homes, they would have big meals, 
This is what a breaking of bread was. It was a big meal, and the Lord's Supper, communion, was part of the meal in people's homes. In fact, I personally am of the viewpoint that that is the best place for the Lord's Supper. The best place for communion is not in the big gathered body, but with people that you know, people that you're connected with, people that you love, your small community of, of people in your home. And so what happened is, is they would have these big meals, and there's always that guy, Right? You know that, if you don't know that there's that guy, you are the guy. There's always a guy when there's, who does not ever calculate the food to people ratio. And he jumps to the front of the line and he takes all the mac and cheese so there's none left for everybody else. That's what he's saying. He's like, some of you rush to the front of the line and the reason they were doing it is because they were rich. They were like, the rich people always get to go first because in their true community, their koinonia, their fellowship, their partnership with the gospel, the rich and the poor, the socioeconomic barriers were broken down and they were all meeting together in these homes. Slaves and free and Jews and Greek and rich people and poor people and the rich people were running to the front of the line and eating all the food because they probably brought more. And then what happened? He said, then they run to the communion table and then they got hammered on communion wine. Right? By the way, for anyone who tries to make an argument that in the Bible it was only grape juice, case one. <laughs> right? You don't get hammered on Welch's. Right? We, by the way, we use, this is a tangent, but I'm going to go all day. Um, um, we use grape juice because we want to love people in our community who struggle with alcohol. That's why we do it. But when you're gathering in your home, talk amongst yourselves, figure that out. Okay, so guys are getting drunk, right? Eating all the food in the buffet. Paul's mortified. Why? Well, he just told us in the previous chapter, chapter 10, that there are several purposes for the Lord's Supper, for communion. The first is, it, it shows the world our vertical relationship with Jesus. It's a proclamation of the gospel that Jesus lived a sinless life, died on the cross, was buried, rose again. It was, it's symbolism of his body and bread, and it's what Jesus commanded us to do. And second, it describes our horizontal relationship that we have one another. We are the body. When it says this is the body of Christ, what you're celebrating is we are the body of Christ. So think about this for a second. What do you normally think about when you are taking the Lord's Supper? My guess is if you're like me, and if you're like most people, you're thinking about you. Maybe you're thinking about Jesus, but you're thinking about you, your experience. You're thinking inward, but in, in, in chapter 10, he didn't say that. He said it's about Jesus, it's about us. Vertical, horizontal. Notice what's missing? Inward. Notice who Paul says the church is offending? He says, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Paul was angry at the church because they were focusing on themselves when they gathered for the Lord's Supper. And you remember how the whole thing started? Verse 17, he says, now in giving this instruction, I don't praise you since when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. What's he saying? What is worse is when you gather in the local church and you are making it about you. 
And especially during the Lord's Supper, he's like, when in Jesus' name, as a church, we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we proclaim the gospel, we proclaim the coming kingdom of God in in the Lord's Supper, and yet there's still status divisions in the church. There were poor people in their church who couldn't get any food because the rich people ate it all. There's some guy over in the corner who's drunk on communion wine, and all this division is happening when they are supposed to be united in Christ. He said, this is why I don't praise you. And then he says, and this is sort of intense where he heads next. Look at verse 23. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. In other words, I got this from Jesus. (laughs) On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he gave, uh, had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Did you ever notice that, by the way? A lot of people say, this is my body broken for you. That's actually not what the Greek says. He says, he broke the bread, but he says, this is my body, which is for you, because he's talking about the unity of the body. This is the body, which is for you. Do this and remember to me. And in the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, uh, I'm just, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Look at that last line. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We don't proclaim what Jesus has pulled together in unity by tearing it apart and dividing it. And then he gives this terrifying conclusion. (laughs) He says, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. That's intense. He said, let a person examine himself. That's inward, by the way, but we'll get back to it. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink the cup, for whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and some have fallen asleep. He's like, some of you have died because you did this wrong. That's intense, which, which by the way, I, I don't think that people are going to fall dead on their way out of the, their service day. Um, there would always be a prophet, uh, when this kind of warnings happen, they're saying, hey, this is going to happen, and there's a warning, and then the thing happens, and they're like, see, we warned you the thing was going to happen, right? So, but this is really important here, because I don't know if you've ever been in a service, and not to throw shade, but if you've ever been in a, in a, in a communion service, and people say, well, now take this time to examine yourself, right? That's a good thing, but what do we normally think it means? We normally think, oh, this is about my right vertical relationship with God, right? That's actually not what he says when he says, examine yourself. Look what he says. He says, for whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, examine yourself. But the examination you are to do is, how well am I one anothering? How well am I doing at keeping peace with one another, with loving, with caring for people and their needs, for being in community with these people? That's what he's saying to examine. And he says, when you do that, you examine the body and you take the Lord's Supper together. To be honest, I'm even, we, we have people at home uh, online, we've encouraged them to get their elements together today. I'm always nervous about that a little bit because I want them to be part of what we are doing because this is what we do together. So yes, examine yourself, but ask, 
am I in community, one anothering with others? There is a very real sense in which we, as followers of Jesus, are responsible for the loneliness in each other's lives. We're supposed to be part of that. Not creating it, but helping when people are lonely. So this is what we're going to do today. Um, we're going to take communion together. And if you've been around Riv for a while, you, you know how we used to do communion um, pre-pandemic. Um, it was pandemonium. And people are like, why do we do this? And for those of you who weren't here, this is how we did it. We had tables all around the room. And we're like, okay, everybody, go get your stuff. And we didn't help you, right? No traffic signs, no one driving traffic. <laughs> you know why we did that? Because we're a big group of people, and we wanted the chaos and the pandemonium and you to be other, with other people. And that's because that's part of the symbolism. We're remembering the body. You had to actually let the person in line ahead of you. And if you were complaining, well, that's your problem, right? And you better examine yourself, right? And so that was the whole thing. But because of the pandemic, we're trying to be safer. And so we got these little things, right, with, with, with the juice and, and the, the, the gluten-free body of Christ that tastes like the same as the wrapper on, on the top. And, and, but that's, that's okay. And by the way, we do gluten-free because we're also caring for our community. The same reason we do grape juice to care for our community. We're doing gluten-free to care for our community. That's why we're doing it. But normally it's chaos. We put them on the chairs to keep people safe, and we want you to be safe. But we also want you to be in community. So we're going to do something different today. We're going to take the Lord's Supper after I pray in a minute. And what I want you to do is I want you to just stand up, turn around, and look around for somebody maybe you've never met before. And just say, wait for it, hi, my name is, insert your name here. And I know it's awkward, and some of us are introverts, and we don't like to do that. But we're a family. And just say hi, and, 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 and if people, especially if people have masks on, just try to keep some social distance, be wise, be smart, right? And then just introduce yourself, and then everybody grab the elements together, and take the bread, and take the juice, proclaiming Jesus, and remembering that we are the body. So we're going to give you like a minute before we do music, music musical worship again, um, because we want you to take the time to do that. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to do that. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the fact that he is the head of our body and we're his body. And so we know that a lot of us and a lot of people in our community are struggling with loneliness. Help us to make that our problem. Help us to one another, one another. Help us to have people in our lives, to have a circle of people that we know, where we are known, where we can intimately share our thoughts and feelings. We can help one another in our needs because we're a big place and we're spread out all over the Lansing area. And so help us to find those people and to be those people. Just pray that that criticism of Riverview being a place that people can go to for a long time without being known, pray that that would be a thing of the past. That people would be known because you know them. So we want to know them. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name, the name that we proclaim in the Lord's Supper today. Amen.